Welcome back to another episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. Today, we are discussing growing up in white communities from the Chinese adoptees' perspective. Uh, we're joined by Chinese adoptees Aiden, Julia, and Caitlin. Hi, I'm Aiden, and um, I was adopted from China, um, Wuhan, uh, Hubei province, when I was uh, age like two and a half, maybe-ish. Um, and I grew up in Chicago, and then I was in Boston, in Massachusetts, and then in Maine, and then now I'm here in Michigan. So I've kind of, you know, lived a lot of places, and I'm currently in law school. Uh, actually, today was my uh, first day of 2L year, so that's kind of cool. Hi, I'm Julia Westman. I am originally from Jiangmen in Guangdong province. Um, I currently live in San Antonio and I am a personal stylist. Oh, That's you want to style cool. me? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Yes, anybody. What I... type of stylite? What type of stylizing? I don't know. That's not a word. Clothes, clothes um, and stuff. Oh, like that. wow. That's so cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Do you have like your own like um, fashion blog? That is the goal. I would love to do it, um, have my own business, and I want to open up a little lo- local boutique. But at the current moment, I work uh, for a company called Stitch Fix. Um, oh, is, I, yeah, I've heard of that. Towards older, I would say older people. Um, and I definitely would love to work more with like youth and just like, you know, 20s and 30s. Um, so if y'all ever need any help, just hit me up. I would love it. It's so fun for me. That's when so I have cool. to leave the house post-COVID, I will definitely hit you up. <laughs> Hi, my name is Caitlin Ruiz. Um, I was adopted from Nanjing, and I actually don't know how to say my province, um, so I don't want to butcher their name. But uh, I'm originally from Florida. I went to the University of Florida for my undergrad, and then I moved to Chicago um, last year for medical school, so I'm entering my second year. So to open up the discussion, I'm going to ask a question of, were there many people of color around you growing up? I was in a um, white suburb area pretty much like my whole life. I always had like one or two um, people of color around me. I found myself kind of gravitating towards them my whole life, um, and I wasn't really sure why. For the most part, um, my parents are both white, and then my brother's actually adopted from Mexico. Uh, so I would say there was always like someone around, but I was mainly around um, white people, which I didn't really realize how much that impacted me until I went to school um, at the University of Florida. And that's kind of where I found like Asian community, um, mm. kind of like grew my, like into my Asian identity, kind of. I feel like that's really common. A lot of people have to wait until university and then there's a more, a larger diver- diversity of people. Yeah, there's just yeah. like a lot more like freedom in a way. Yeah. I also think, I don't know, I never really, you, you think like, okay, yes, diversity, like, you, that's what you want, that's what you try to obtain, um, and I think growing up, I didn't like fully comprehend what it fully meant, not necessarily, you know, statistical sense, but I think when I moved to um, Michigan, I was in a community that was more um, diverse and not the, I guess, terminology is lily white community but so like in michigan where i grew where i was i came in my middle of my junior year ish um there was more diversity and there were just different experiences and definitely felt more not the out i guess 
which was kind of nice. And I think mm-hmm. then I started to kind of gain more, even more, I guess, appreciation besides the statistical aspect of diversity. It's a lot less uh, lonely. Yeah. How about you, Julia? Um, yeah, I definitely grew up in a Caucasian-dominated environment. Uh, both my parents are white. I have another sister who is from adopted from China as well. Uh, we are the only people in our my whole entire family um, of color, and along with that, my um, where I grew up outside of Philly in a small suburb, it was super, um, you know, just like typical like middle class um, white neighborhood. And then we moved to the Midwest um, during my high school years to uh, the Midwest and. Lewis was a pretty um, Caucasian dominated city as well. And actually that's why I, my boyfriend lives here in San Antonio, but um, I also fell in love with the city just because there was so much rich culture and um, kind of just what I've been yearning for, for my whole life. And I mean that by not only people and color in that sense, but also just like the culture is so vibrant and I'd never really been in a, city where I felt that and it's really special mm-hmm, for sure also because like Chinese food is like really good if you don't get the chance to experience that a lot growing up it's kind of sad totally luckily Philly has like the best Chinatown ever <laughs> we like ate our way through that all the time but that was kind of the only way I felt connected to um, being Chinese because there were very few um, Asian people in my middle school, but I, I remember like it was yesterday. I would go. I went to the lunchroom and it was kind of like a table of Asian kids, and they like cast me away. They were not interested mm-hmm. in talking to me um, because of you know my friends who were all white. But that was you know to no one's fault, but just you know where. I lived and that was kind of a bummer for me for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely understand that type of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause when I lived in, so I lived in Massachusetts and um, so my mom, she was, well, she's alive. So I probably shouldn't say was um, mm-hmm. also, I should knock on wood. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have that. Okay. never mind. Um, and she tried to really get me, connected to my roots and like not forcefully but like saying like hey here's these opportunities and um I want to like help you be in certain uh spaces where you can um engage with in those opportunities and so like um so there was this uh I had after school program where like it was just kind of I go to someone's house and it was kind of as if like you go to your best friend's house you know and then your mom picks you up after like her work or something. But in this case, it was um, a lot of, uh, I think at least one of their parents was from China, but granted I'm very little, so maybe it wasn't even in China. Maybe there were some other Asian countries as well. Um, but but uh, they knew all, they knew how to speak Chinese and everything. And they would have like um, time where they would just go like and speak their Chinese, like it was a lesson, I guess. But because I didn't know how to speak Chinese or anything, um, they kind of made fun of me in a, 
in like I guess their own way of mm-hmm. you know outcasting me I guess That's um cool. yeah it was kind of a bummer and then like I don't know then I had my experiences in Maine and my only experience Maine again is a lily white community um and my only experience with um Asian was that they were um international students and so therefore they kind of had their own you know group and they also had a very different like I mean aside from the cultural upbringing I think also uh, economically um, different upbringing as well and Mm so so really I was like I didn't fit in with them either also they don't know how to speak Chinese and again did not know how to speak Chinese and so, yeah, so I, I kind of got jaded, I guess. I kind of created, I guess, in my mind or with the through my experiences, a jaded um perspective of the um Asian community. And so it kind of took me a while to try to, like, open up and kind of even search for that kind of community. And I have to give, like, you know, applause to um Somewhere Between a podcast because that's where I, like, was like, oh, my goodness. Like, that first episode that you guys did I was like oh my god I have those same thoughts too and like I'm oh my goodness wow there's a type of like a space for me too I'm I belong kind of oh I'm glad that we helped you feel like you belong somewhere I know that I think a lot of adoptees kind of struggle with that because you know we're too white for the Asian kids but too Asian for the white kids and then we're kind of just like well where do we go yeah, I definitely resonate with that a lot, um, like everything you said, um, everything both of you guys said, because I think growing up, uh, being around white people so much, I didn't know like what having Asian friends was like for a while, and I think I just had like all these stereotypes. When I went to college, I actually joined like a like the traditional white sororities, um, and for the longest time, actually, I would have people tell me that like, oh, you're like a white Asian like you're a whitewashed Asian like you're not like the rest of them and like those kind of comments always made me like really self-aware of like my Asian mm-hmm. I've actually like had someone tell me like I who was also Asian like a sister in the story at the time and they, she, she said that I purposely didn't want to hang out with like fobs like I actually didn't even know what that meant um so then, wow. there were so many like moments where I was like almost scared to have Asian friends because it just felt negative for whatever reason and then I ended up actually quitting the sorority and joining an Asian uh, an Asian American sorority um and getting really involved in the Asian community and that was yeah like super cool and I was just like kind of the first time we were like the majority something like you know where you just look around you're like you can't put people into boxes like just meet some people and you're like Asian people are just people like there's these stereotypes Mm -hmm. that people put on them and I feel like that was like kind of the point where I was able to feel more comfortable but at the same time I definitely get what you guys mean when you say like you were outcasted um because even just being around Asians who are from like Asian families there's so much cultural things that I'm just not aware of even though I'm Chinese like I don't understand like Chinese New Year's for sure and like there were times where I felt so excluded because they were like you've never had pho before and I'm like and I'm like no and they're like you never had boba tea and I'm like no yeah, and it's I think I think that's a common thing, and, and I don't think they mean to be um, rude about it or like to offend you, but I don't think they always understand that's a very sensitive topic, and that we can't we can't help we can't help that we don't know, right? We don't yeah. have the um, opportunities that they have. There's a significant difference between 
um, you know, internationally, Chinese people who are studying here, and then as well as Chinese Americans like us, it's, yeah, physically, we might look the same, but our whole, you know, I mean, my life has been shaped completely different from, you know, from theirs. And, you know, it's important to be sensitive, because it is easy to kind of step on toes. And something that I've kind of had to teach myself, though, with not growing up with a ton of Asian friends is that just because someone is Asian as well, it doesn't mean that we automatically have to like get along. You know what I mean? Like I know that I have been in, had had a friendship where it almost felt like forced because we were like, you know, we should be friends because we're both adopted from China and yada, yada, yada. But that also doesn't make sense. It really has to be natural and it has to be, um, you know, genuine and friendships are a two-way street. And so I think it's kind of like the mix of wanting to reach out and like be friends with people in like the same community, but also knowing that just because we have this like similar thing such as adoption, um, it doesn't mean necessarily that you have, you know, that you're going to get along with everybody like any anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even... um like Chinese kids born here in America and raised by a fully Chinese family still are uh, outcasted sometimes by the international students because you're still not a mainlander and you're not considered fully Chinese, which is so crazy to me that we just like to box each other and try to rank each other and like how Chinese you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also like on the flip side, there's also lots of um, negative stereotypes about the international students who come from mainland China. That's true. I feel like there's always time periods where like in any group that I'm in, whether it's like fellow Asians or like other POCs or like with white folks, there's always this feeling of like needing to prove my Asian-ness, especially when I'm with Mm -hmm. people, because I think it's just so obvious sometimes that I'm from like a white family. Maybe it's just like the way I talk or like I'm just Americanized. Um, And it comes across that way because like my family is very Southern. So like I'll say Southern things too, where people are like, what are you saying? And then that makes me feel like I need to prove my Asian-ness more. But then when I'm with, like, white people, I almost feel like I need to turn it down in a way. So, yeah, there's always just, like, this feeling of, like, being super aware of my racial identity with, like, certain groups and kind of having to, like, validate that in, like, different ways or feeling maybe, like, externally, like, I have to validate that. Uh, I think it's kind of on the line of um, conversation as to identity where I know I've... um heard this in the podcast as well um people saying how um when they, they sometimes forget that they look asian yeah that's nice. um <laughs> yeah um i i mean i was my mom is irish my dad's irish um her brothers and sisters they're um irish as well it's like and it's so born in irish catholic kind of family and so yeah i was surrounded by a lot of white people um so I kind of forgot that I looked Asian and maybe it was because of the way that I grew up and the the way I interacted with my family that they didn't really I guess say or like um have certain um I guess terminologies or words that indicated that you're different or that you're Asian um but there were like times where like sometimes I just look I'd walk past a mirror and I'd be like oh oh Oh, I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm like, oh, I am Asian looking. Okay. 
Um, and then, but then sometimes, but, but when it really hits is when like you're in high school and there's a substitute teacher and they kind of, you know, try to pronounce your name, even though it's not that hard, I guess. Maybe it is. I don't know. Aiden Trainer, but like they have, but then they just kind of assume like, oh, that um, I'm a international student. And I mean, I guess back then I wasn't fully offended in a sense. Cause I'm like, okay, like. I guess, because I look Asian, and, like, I don't look like any of these individuals, so there's that assumption, um, but then, then another time, there was an assumption that when I was trying to explain to someone who I was, who was helping me with my writing, I was like, yeah, I'm not very great at, like, reading that well, but I really, like, I think it's just, I have, like, it's hard for me to just put down everything on paper, it's all in my head, and it's all organized in my head, but I just can't get it out on the paper. And I was kind of explaining that to her in my reading and how I'm just kind of, like, slow at reading. I mean, then the individual was like, oh, well, there's some good children's books. Uh, and then she, like, cited some really, like, like, legit children's books for me. And granted, I was in community college, so oh I'm like, okay, I know how to read. Like, I'm not, like, that slow. But, like, uh, that's not the point. The point was not that I was slow in my English ability. The point was, I don't know, that jump that she made was, like, kind of a little bit hurtful. That's really frustrating. For sure. It's, only, it's almost insulting. In yeah. yeah. So. I, I mean, uh, granted, at that moment, I was like, okay. And I was like, can't believe, like, she thinks I can't read like a normal grade level, I guess. I kind of feel like it was more towards the fact that I didn't, I looked, I was Asian, I'm Asian, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's also more common when there's, um, there's less diversity in an area because then there's more stereotypes and there's less people around to kind of prove that those stereotypes are not correct. And right. So people are allowed to like continue living their lives and just have these false Very like, stereotypes yeah, and people, simplistic. Yeah. Very simplistic, too. And then it's not really analyzed or they're not, it's not understand as a complex maybe issue or complex thing. It's just like, oh, she just doesn't know how to read. So I'll just show her like an English book. Well, like a Mm -hmm. literally a child book, even though she's in. That could also go into like the white savior complex. Oh, yeah. We won't go there. Oh, my goodness. So did you guys know any other Chinese adoptees growing up or? Other Asian adoptees in general? I had one other friend who was adopted from China that um, actually my parents were friends with their parents. Um, and that was pretty special. And I'm, I'm still in touch with her to this day. Um, but that was pretty much it for me. I, you know, I had other, I knew other people who were adopted, but not necessarily from China. And I think it, it does matter, you know, what country sometimes. Because um, mm-hmm. it's not all the same. For sure. That's really cool. I had um actually like an adoptee group. Um, my parents went to China, I think, with six other families. Um, and so I'm kind of still in touch with them, but we ended up leaving Tennessee, so we're not like as close as I wish we were. Um, so it's kind of cool just to know that there are people out there who like came home with me almost. Mm-hmm. But um, I definitely um didn't get to have those conversations of what adoptee identity means to me until college when I met a couple other adoptees and even then I feel like it's not till right now like in med school that I'm finally kind of starting to process what the adoptee part of Asian American Mm -hmm. is right yeah same like stories are so different like one person 
she's like an adoptee and like the rest of her siblings are like bio kids and then like someone else like an adoptee as well who's like parents like I don't know they have a weird relationship with the parents but then my parents and I are like really close so it's like really hard to kind of mm-hmm. even talk to people about that because just adopt like the adoptee is like like you have a Venn diagram and like one circle's Asian, one's American, so many people overlap with that. And then you put the adoptee on there. And you're just like the right. these three circles. And I feel like the community is just so niche and like so diverse. It's really hard to like have common ground almost sometimes, it feels like. Totally. Yeah, I think it's definitely more complex than just the fact that we're Asian adoptees, you know. Mm-hmm. And- but I think it definitely helps kind of, at least for me, um, I also had a um, group that I was adopted with, and I'm still in touch with a couple of them today. Ironically, I don't think we've ever really talked about adoption, but I think that um, they're kind of on a different stage of their adoption journey than I am, so I think that might be one of the reasons why. But I just thought it was nice because I think even when I was in like elementary school and high school, I always knew like at least one other um, person who was adopted in my grade, and that kind of makes it a bit more normalized. That makes sense. That's really cool. Especially because um, my sister is actually my parents' biological child. So right. I'm the only person of color in my family. So it was it's kind of nice, at least then, seeing other adoptees in my day-to-day life. It kind of goes along with the sentiment that um, I've heard other people kind of express on this podcast of having someone else who's adopted just around you or, um, you know, someone you can talk to or even just mm-hmm. having like a thing like the Facebook group really just makes it easier and that you know you may not talk about it but if you want to there's someone there who understands or there's hidden like those underlying feelings that you don't really need to explain or go in depth and prove why you feel that way they can they're like oh yeah I I relate yeah that's so true because like also I guess it's a question I actually want to ask you guys too is like how do you feel like your identity or going into your um Asian identity was impacted by like being raised by I, well in my case like a white family um because I know for me like my family loves me unconditionally and like they've always made points to say even though my mom didn't birth me like I'm still their kid so it's not like my family's never made me feel like I wasn't theirs but there's definitely like a complex of like trying to figure out where you fit in a family that's white and then like knowing that your parents like don't understand what it's like to like have stereotypes like, like on you and like my parents I'm still trying to explain to them like what colorblind means and like what white privilege is and there's just so many facets of life where I didn't wasn't like prepared I feel like um for like approaching the world as a person of color and I think I don't want to blame my parents for that even though I definitely went through an angry phase in college that <laughs> was like I regret but I'm also going to need to go through it but I do feel like when I talk to like other adoptees or just people who like are even biracial having those conversations of like what is it like to be in a family who might not understand what it is to be a person of color how are you guys kind of like affected by that or if you, if you even were? I think it's actually kind of maybe opposite of your experience in the sense that my parents were the ones that kind of highlighted, I guess, or like noted those microaggressions and those like um those type of um prejudice and discrimination. So I think I just kind of internalized it as like, oh, it's just my, it's just me. Like something's wrong with me or like, I guess I just don't fit in because nobody likes me, even though I'm trying my best to be a good person like I don't fit in at all with anybody and I don't think I fully comprehended at first that it was because I'm different in a way 
For me, I think that my family, it's me and my sister are the only people of color. However, I think what has made me feel more comfortable is the acknowledgement from my family, but more specifically my mom and my dad, that we are different and not kind of trying, like, turning a blind eye to that and just, like, putting it out there and saying, yeah, like, you guys are the only people of color. You guys are the only Chinese people in this family and appreciating it uh, because my family, you know, in all the reunions and or, or holidays, I just remember so many years I won't name like family members, but like, you know, people would be like, oh, you have, you know, your uncle's eyes or your mom's hair or, oh, you got, uh, you know, my half my family is Jewish. So, oh, you know, you got the Jewish genes of like the the curly hair. And, you know, I would just be sitting there because when my sister is younger and be like, well, this 100% doesn't apply to me. I don't have green eyes. I don't have curly hair. Um but I think it wasn't that they were trying to be insensitive. I think they just didn't stop to think about it. Once I addressed it, I think, I mean, it completely stopped and I loved it. I loved that they were willing to hear. And it wasn't like, you know, some magic words made me feel better. It was more so just like saying, I know you're adopted. I know you're different and that's okay and we love you like I think that that helped me definitely on my journey with my family I definitely agree with you there and that it like it makes it more normal and mm-hmm. accepted and it kind of addresses your question and your feeling of being different versus just being like no 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 it's no problem at all like don't think about it and just like brush right. it under the rug totally I think that's something my family's starting to like finally realize it and I think it's partly because, like like you said, kind of having to tell your family that you're feeling that. I think for a while it took me until, like, 21 to, like, even understand what that feeling was. I think my family's getting better with that. But I think it's hard because there's that difference of, like, trying to acknowledge, like, you are different from your family in a way, but also trying not to, like, outcast you. Right. Um, and I think that's something that, like, as I've gotten older and, like, matured more and, like, having those conversations with my whole family, it's gotten a little better. Um, but I definitely have gotten like more perspective as I got an older too of like where they might be coming from and like but in the end they like do that of love. But it's still like right. such kind of a weird dynamic that a lot of my other friends like can't relate to at all. Mm. <laughs> it's tricky being an adoptee. For sure. It's such a loaded concept and thing that I'm constantly surprising myself that either something bothers me or I'm sensitive about something, things that I would not have even, even thought of. Um, I think it takes time to kind of, I don't know, uncover and get comfortable and talk through the difficult things, but it definitely helps to have people who are similar to kind of bounce thoughts off of with no judgment and also like a like-minded mindset. Yeah. Sometimes it almost feels like it pushes you to mature faster in some ways because you end up having to deal with a lot of hard topics and as you guys are saying you know you have to have these difficult conversations that other families may not have to have and then also conversations with yourself of understanding really and like really figuring out who you are and what parts of your you know birth culture do you relate to and what parts of your um, adopted culture do you want to uh, relate to to like kind of make up you 
Yeah, kind of going off of um, like what you said about as you get older, kind of figuring out like what you're sensitive to. Um, mm-hmm. This is kind of like a little tangential, but one thing that was definitely I didn't realize till recently was like how my beauty standards like mentally were shaped by just being in a white community for so long and kind of like trying to figure out what beauty is because we do look so different. Um, and one thing I was so insecure of for the past, like pretty much my whole life were my eyes. Um, and in 10th grade, I started doing eyelid glue, which is where you like take your monolids and you like create double lids with it. Um, and a friend of mine who was, um, was Asian American had showed it to me. And then like, for so long, I kept doing that um, secretly in a way. And like my parents really don't understand it. And like, I did it around like white friends like they would kind of stare at me really weird and like it just I just felt always so insecure about my eyes and then I got to college and like I did it in front of some other Asian friends like oh that's like I like blue and I was like so blown away for the first time that, like someone else like knew what that was and it was so validating like I didn't feel weird about it and that's kind of like I, don't know, I, I for some reason just having that like so in a way like someone else that like looks like you like kind of acknowledge like beauty standards like that I was like wow this is like really empowering and then I ended up getting plastic surgery actually this summer for my eyes um and I kind of like have slowly kind of gone over the insecurity in a way but I think it's definitely kind of an adoptee thing where it just took me so long to figure out like what beauty standards were and that like it might not fit like the traditional western one but to try and like mold that and like just be around like empowering Asian women honestly um, and people who I was like, wow, you're really beautiful. And like, I just never saw this growing up. Hmm. I think that's also why um, Asian representation in the media is so important. Because yeah. like, our, as you said, growing up, we are um, exposed to only the white narrative. And I remember even, I think maybe it was one or two years ago, and I was walking past Sephora and I saw there was like an Asian person on there. I was like, wow, that's like so cool, you know, because... I'd never really seen Asian people in advertisements, especially not like beauty ones. I don't know. I lost my train yeah. of thought. But it was just really yeah. nice to see that representation. And I remember when we had um, Kira Omens on like a while ago, she was talking about how I love her. Um, revolutionary uh, crazy rich Asians was in the film industry because before that there hadn't really been that many roles and for Asians and the ones that were available were very like typecasted. Mm-hmm. And then they realized, oh wow, there's like a big Asian demographic and they wanted to tap into that and that's why we're lucky now we get to see like to all the boys and just other Netflix movies where there's right Asian and also Asian adoptee um totally main lead which is really cool so did your parents try to immerse you in your culture or like do things to introduce you like you know sending you to Chinese school or uh, dance classes or eating at Asian restaurants eating at Asian restaurants for sure for me I mean my parents can chow down on some Asian food and that goes for like every country um and as well as I I actually had a Chinese tutor when I was younger um and I remember not only did she teach language but also I remember making my first dumpling um with her oh really I think because like of the community, like what we're talking about just as a whole is, you know, it was, I think it was on like Saturday mornings or something, which is kind of inconvenient, I guess. Um, I don't know. Sleepovers on Friday night or whatever. I don't know. Petty, petty stuff. I was kind of like, why am I doing this? This is boring, blah, 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 blah. I kind of wish I had stuck with it. Um, 
but it did like implement early on kind of just the appreciation of the culture and ways that my parents knew that they couldn't provide for me. So I'm grateful for that, even though, you know, that didn't last, you know, a long, long, long time. Yeah. It's nice that they made like the effort to give you that option. Totally. My parents also put me to um, like Chinese school and I like regret leaving it because they had tried, they had like tried their best to like immerse me in that culture as well. And then I think when I got into seventh grade, I just got really stubborn and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'm tired of being different. And I, like, pulled myself out of it. And it's something I, like, look back and I'm like, I was being so stubborn. And I wish I would have stuck with it. But my parents really did, like, try and, like, give that kind of opportunity to me, which I really appreciate. And I wish I would have taken advantage of it. Yeah. I've heard it's a really common regret for a lot of adoptees who are put through Chinese school initially. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we're not really explained like why this might be helpful. And when it is, it doesn't seem like it's, um, I don't know, it just doesn't seem relevant. They always direct it like, oh, this is good for your future. Like you should do it just because it's your culture. I think also that um, part of it was also the teachers within the Chinese schools. They don't really know what to do with all these adopted Chinese children because we have the disadvantage of not having families that speak Chinese at home. And so, you know, they don't understand why we don't, why we can't speak or um, even understand what they're saying. And then, you know, they're trying to teach us. But if the only time, only opportunity that you get to speak Mandarin is in school mm-hmm. or like once a week, then it's not going to be very conducive to your learning. Mm-hmm. Totally. I don't know about you guys, but um, I also found too that there's kind of almost a shame for me at least, being in Chinese school and all my peers around me are speaking it with their parents that when they get picked up, um, mm. they go into class and they can just say it so easily and their pronunciation's correct. Um, they go all, they get all the right words and answers correct. And then here I am struggling and they kind of just look at you as a like, why is it so hard? It shouldn't be this hard. Wow, you hit the nail on the head. I think that's huge when I agree completely. Yeah, and I think that's actually something my dad had, maybe in hindsight, look back, had realized, um, because he would actually come to Chinese class with me and, like, sit in the back and, like, record things on, like, that old recorder and then go home and, like, try and practice it. So I swear he put more time into it than I did, and then he would try to practice with me. Um, So I feel like that's something my parents had kind of acknowledging of, and I think that he might have been more upset that I quit because then he had to quit. I think he was. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, he had put a lot of time into trying to like have someone to be that person that I could practice with, which I um, awesome. like so much effort, which I really loved. Yeah, but that was definitely a thing for sure. I think it's just kind of like in those kind of moments, like you were saying, it's just another kind of like reminder mm-hmm. in a way you're just a good, you know, someone called me a transplant in America. And for some reason, that kind of stuck with me. <laughs> I feel like that that's okay. kind of those feelings. Yeah, I was like, this is very um, abrasive, but I kind of feel that. That's an interesting way to illustrate that, you know. Yeah, it's very I know, though, another term that I've been called is um, banana. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or Twinkie. Twinkie. Yeah. Really? I've never been called that yet. I've, I haven't I heard of Twinkie, like but I've heard I like a new one. one. I think, like, my friend, my one friend who I'm the most in touch with, who's also adopted from China, um, we've like talked about even getting like little 
banana tattoos just because I, I truly feel like it's symbolic and it's a visual way. Obviously, like if someone calls it calls you um, that in a malicious way, that's you know, inappropriate. Yeah, I think that I think for me, because whenever I hear the term banana, I'm think of the you know, all the times in my high school that I tried to fit in with Asian kids and they, mm-hmm. they just wouldn't have it. And banana was used kind of as a term to dissuade me, I guess. Mm-hmm. And say, oh, you're crazy how we can make a fruit like derogatory. Yeah. yeah. I think context, context is everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's cool. I mean, even if um, people did use it um, as an insult, it's kind of like reclaiming that word as something that you, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. A word can only have power if you give it power, totally. I guess. I feel like in middle school, um, I was like called Twinkie, Lemonade, and Banana, but they were always like not maybe malicious in like its intent because the friends who were t- calling me it were like friends. Like they were just like, oh, like I want to give you this cute nickname or whatever. Um, it always that weird with me because it is just kind of like, you're different and like you're a banana. And I'm like, okay. Um, but at the time, I like, actually kind of appreciated the attention in a way to kind of acknowledge that difference. But then I got older and I was like, I can see how this could be kind of insulting. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Never really called fun. banana. Um, are you talking about like what age are you talking about? I was in middle school, so I guess what is that like? Thirteen. Yeah. yeah, I was in high school. I um, think also for me, I mean, when you go when you're in high school, you're going through all kinds of different identity crises, and you're just figuring out who you are. And then to add in like the adoptee complex and like you know the Asian adoptee not mm. fitting into either white or Asian circles just kind of exaggerated that sure well I was never called uh banana or twinkie honestly the first time I heard that was in situations um recently but uh I remember getting called um pink in elementary school I had no idea what it meant like I had I had no idea I didn't even know it was mean um and honestly the you know what we're like 10 you know, we're young. I don't even think he really knew the complexity of it. But when I told my mom, she was nothing short of furious. It was pretty bad. And that's how I kind of, how you were saying earlier, how you forget how you're Asian. It was kind of a reminder that as much as I identified almost as being white, because um, I just wanted to fit in as a young person, that I was different. And I had to, it definitely like set me on my journey of like loving that. I will and always will be Asian or Chinese. Um, yeah, it was intense. So before we wrap up the episode, does anyone have any final thoughts they want to share? You can do your positive thoughts about uh, growing up in a white community. Um, I would say that I feel like I'm able to honestly think more positive now that I'm older. Because if you would have asked me that question like three years ago, um, I was like in a different mindset. I think part of it is like when you grow up in a white community without people who look like you for so long, like there is some type of, I don't know, like self-denial I was going through for a while because um, I just knew I was so different and I couldn't figure out how and like my family's not people of color. So they also couldn't really relate in some ways. Um, so I think that there's definitely like a journey that you have to go through as an adoptee. Um, and it takes like a couple of breakthroughs and to kind of just like start embracing that you are kind of in a way like bi-ethnic because uh, you do live in these like two separate worlds of like being in mm-hmm. a white family being in a white environment usually and then also like having this claim to like an asian identity that you might not fully embrace yet um and it takes i think effort and like 
conscious trying to start embracing that. And like, I think in college is when I gained that confidence and that um, empowerment from like friends who are Asian. And like when I found people who look like me and like kind of realized that I am a different, but it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Now kind of going back to my family, like I am in like a different mindset because I don't have like that internal battle going on. So I'd say overall, like it is there are like challenges still being the only person of color in a white space sometimes, even if it is your family. But I think I've become a lot more aware of like what intersectionality is. It's not between like races, um, but it's kind of opened my eyes more to like just thinking about people's identities intersectionally. I think a lot of people are mm-hmm. surprised when they're like, oh, you're an Asian person in a white family. And that's just only one type of intersectionality. I think being just like kind of in the space that we are, it gives you like a new window to just look and like when you meet new people, just kind of remind yourself like you are different and like this person might be different too and not to like put expectations on other people. Um, mm-hmm. like, and different doesn't necessarily mean anyway. like bad. Yeah, like different as in like kind of embracing like differences and like yeah. not putting people in those stereotypical boxes because we are kind of like representative sure. of a different identity in a good way. Yeah, I feel like adoption is something that we always will continue to learn and like um, grow with. It's not something that ever we ever, I think, fully yeah, kind of resolve within ourselves if that makes sense yeah it's like another identity just to kind of like explore and grow yeah are there any other final thoughts that you'd like to share thanks for having this um podcast for for us to um learn and also listen to it while we're on our journey yeah i'm glad i hope it continues to be useful to everyone thank you so much for having us on here i really enjoyed it Thank you guys for um, making time to come and talk with us today. Thank you. Great meeting you guys. Great to meet you guys. Thanks for joining us today. Tune in next week for another episode. If you're interested in participating in one of these episodes, please email us at somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to join our Instagram family at somewherebetween.fam to stay connected with updates, casting calls, and more. See you guys next week.